Hello friends, welcome to the Hillside Church Podcast. My name is Brad and I serve Hillside Church as the lead pastor. We're so glad to be able to share God's word with you in this way. God has so much in store for you and for your life. And one of the ways God works in our lives is through the study of his word, like the message you're about to hear. Our prayer for you is that as you share in this message, if it's me preaching or if it's someone else, is that God's word would minister to your heart and life in a most powerful way. Thanks again for being part of our church family. God bless you. Well, if you'd like to join me in scripture this morning, um, you can find our text for today in Luke chapter 19. Um, What we're doing right now is we're, we're looking at the life of Jesus and seeing what we can learn and understand about ourselves and the world around us. And, and by looking at the, the words and the life of Jesus. This is actually the second last of, of the messages in this series. We're going to be starting a new series, not next Sunday, but the Sunday after. But this week we're going to take a look at a moment in the life of Jesus that it's, it's strange. There's, there's this wild dichotomy that's taking place in, in the story of Jesus that, that everything seems one way, but yet there's this undercurrent of things that are taking place that show us that, that even though what we'll see that the people will refer to, essentially the whole world seems to be doing one thing, that there's this undercurrent of things that are going the other way. And Jesus is, is put in this position where he, he has to choose what, what he's going to do. But to understand what's happening here, um, we need to start at a moment, we need to look at a couple moments that, that happened before this so that we can understand that, that what's about to take place, it's not just by chance. And it's not just, oh, look at what happened. But we see the intentionality in this. If we look at, at Luke chapter 9, verse 51, Jesus sa- it says this, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. So there's, there's this moment where Jesus decides, now I'm heading to Jerusalem. And then Luke chapter 13, verses 22, then Jesus went through the towns and villages teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Luke chapter 17. Now on his way to Jerusalem. I'm betting you're picking up a pattern here. Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. One last one. Jesus took the 12 aside and told them, we are going up to Jerusalem. And everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. What we see is that Jesus takes, there's this moment in Luke chapter 9 where Jesus decides it's time to go to Jerusalem. Now it takes him 10 chapters to get there. That that from the moment Jesus says that in Luke chapter 9, it takes to Luke chapter 19 for him to get there. But Jesus says we are heading for Jerusalem. It's it's not just that Jesus is going to end up in Jerusalem. That as he's walking and wandering and doing all of his things, oh, we're in Jerusalem. Who knew? He was heading there on a choice. He was heading there on a mission. Different translations will say things like he set his face towards Jerusalem. And in Luke chapter 19, we see the fulfillment of Jesus heading to Jerusalem. That this choice that he makes in in Luke chapter 9 Luke chapter 19, we come to the end of that. It says this in verse chapter 28. 
After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And he approached, oh, here we go. Um, oh, Barb's not there. All right. Well, this is good. Oh, Matt will fix it. Matt always fixes things. Matt's a great fixer. Verse 28 says, after Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. In verse 29, we'll say, as he approached Bethphage and, Beth, or Bethpage and Bethany he, he, at the hill called the Mount of Olives. Now, the Mount of Olives is, is this large hill outside of Jerusalem. From the Mount of Olives, you look and you see down into Jerusalem. And it descends quickly into what is called the Kid, Kidron Valley. So the Kidron Valley, it's, it's almost like a defense mechanism for Jerusalem. As you, you crest this hill coming up to Jerusalem, you have to go down into this valley. And then you come back up to the city of Jerusalem. So, so you go down below the city of Jerusalem, then you come back up to Jerusalem. But it's in this moment where Jesus asks his disciples for something different, something unique, something that up until this point hasn't occurred at any point in the story of Jesus. See, when, whenever you read about Jesus and his transportation, Jesus did one of two things. He walked or he was in a boat. And even sometimes when he should have been in a boat, he was still walking because he was walking on the water. But, but Jesus walked or he was in a boat. But something uncharacteristic takes place here. As verse 29 would continue, it will say, He sent two of his disciples saying to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied there which, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. So why now, after three years of walking around, three years of walking back and forth and here and there and up and down and left and right and all over the place, why now when Jesus is literally just a couple hundred meters from the gates of Jerusalem, does he suddenly change his mind and say, well, go get me a donkey. I've walked and, and now I need a donkey to carry me the last little bit. The reason for this request is, is because Jesus actually, he's doing this on purpose. Because it's to fulfill a prophecy made hundreds of years before this by, by a man named Zechariah. In Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, it will say this. Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. Here it says, see your king comes to you, righteous and victorious lowly and riding on a donkey, on the colt, the foal of a donkey. Remember, Jesus said, if you go into this town, there you'll find a colt that nobody's ever written or ridden. Uh, untie it and bring it, bring it here. This, this Old Testament prophet had been shown by God and made a prophecy about how, how the king of Israel was going to enter into Jerusalem. That the king of, of Jerusalem, the king of Israel would come and he would be mighty, he would be victorious, but he would come lowly riding on the back of a donkey. And so Jesus, after having walked hundreds of kilometers in his lifetime, knows that this is something he needs to do. He needs to fulfill this because he's the king that's being prophesied about. And so he sends his disciples to go and get this donkey for him. 
so that in this moment he could enter Jerusalem in this way to show that he was the coming king that Zechariah talked about. Now there's three things that you need to know about this moment in the story that helps shape everything that we're about to read. Three things that you need to know. In the city of Jerusalem at this moment, the city was preparing for the Passover festival. And so because of that, Jewish people had come from all over Israel and and really all over the Roman world to celebrate this moment. In fact, some people will say that the, the, the population of Jerusalem at around this time, Jerusalem and kind of the immediate surrounding area was about 250,000 people. But during Passover week, and especially this Passover week, so we'll talk about that in a second, the population would swell to about a million. So there would be about four times the regular amount of people in Jerusalem because it was Passover. And so people are coming to Jerusalem and they're excited because what Passover was, was it was a celebration of the the story of the Israelites being freed from Egypt. And so it was a big deal. It was a moment in their calendar that was huge. It was about as big of a day as they had. And so as they came together as a people, remembering the time God set them free from being in occupation, well now as they sat in occupation, there was an excitement because, hey, if God's going to set us free again, today seems like a good day. This seems like the right time that God would have that kind of symmetry in his plan. And so, so the first thing you need to know, it, it's Passover. Second thing that you need to know is that these prophecies about how the king would come, they weren't just set aside for Bible scholars and people who had really dug into the word. That this culturally was really important that they understood these things. And so their kids were even taught at young ages, this is what the Bible says about how the king's going to come. You need to know these things. You need to remember these things. So, So Jesus coming on the back of a donkey... It's not just some little esoteric thing that like two or three people might have recognized. People knew, hey, the king is coming on a donkey. Now the third thing that you need to know is that people had heard of Jesus. That Jesus wasn't just some random guy riding in on a donkey. That was just Oh, there's some guy on a donkey on the hill. Maybe it's that it wasn't just that there was some guy on a donkey. But people knew that Jesus was Jesus. They knew that he had done these things. They knew that there was this guy named Jesus and there's something special about him. And in fact, if you look in John chapter 11, you can see that people were having discussions about like, do you think Jesus is coming? I heard that Jesus might be coming. And it it will tell us that that actually the Pharisees and the religious leaders, they they began to take extra precautions and and do some extra things because they were actually worried that Jesus might come. That, That people were aware of Jesus and they were thinking, I wonder if he's coming to Jerusalem. And so Jesus stands on the Mount of Olives overlooking the Kidron Valley. He sends his disciples to go get him this donkey so that he can make his way into Jerusalem. As Passover is approaching, Jesus shows up to the gates of Jerusalem on a donkey, fulfilling the prophecy of the king coming and, and what seemingly takes place as the people are seeing Jesus. And they're not only seeing Jesus, they're seeing Jesus on a donkey. And they're not only seeing Jesus on a donkey, they're seeing Jesus on a donkey at Passover riding into Jerusalem. And it begins to work, get people all worked up. Worked up into a fervor. 
and it isn't missed by anyone. And so Jesus begins to, to ride this donkey into Jerusalem and people begin to notice. If we read the account in Mark of this story, it says this. When, when they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, Jesus sat on it. And many people spread their cloaks on the road while others spread their branches they, they had cut in the fields. People are seeing what's taking place. People are, that's Jesus. That, and so some people begin to respond and then more people begin to respond and, and they're, they're, they're understanding and they're saying, wow, is this it? Could this really be it? And there's a saying that says, nothing draws a crowd like a crowd. And more and more people begin to line the streets celebrating Jesus as he's coming into Jerusalem. And they weren't just celebrating him, hey, yay, Jesus. They, they were celebrating them as, as their king. They shouted in Mark verse 9, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Hosanna means, means save us. But, but not necessarily like just in a plea that like, oh, save me. But it, it's rather sorts like, like declaring the one who will save you. That, that you, you're, you're not just crying out, save me. But you're looking and you're identifying someone and saying, you save, save me. It, it's the welcome of a king. It's the welcoming. Here is the one who will save us. Here is the one who's going to save us. And the crowd swells so much that in John's account of this, in John chapter 12, it says of this moment, so the Pharisees said to one another, look how the whole world has gone after him. That it's not just one or two. It's not just a handful of people on the side of the road. The whole city is getting swept up into this to where people are looking and going, man, everyone is here. Everyone is celebrating. But if we jump back to the story of Luke for a moment, as we've gotten this context from, from Mark and from John, we see that this, this isn't a moment that everybody's keen on. Not everyone is excited about what's going on. Verse 39, back in, in Luke chapter 19. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. See, the Pharisees knew what the people thought was going on right now. They're understanding this whole picture as well. But they're not seeing it as the coming king. They're seeing it as some pretender committing heresy. And so Jesus, you need, to, you need to stop this. Whatever you are, whoever you think you may be, you know this isn't right. You need to stop this. Essentially, the, the, what's called the Pharisees, the religious police, they come to Jesus and say, this isn't appropriate. They're here, they see what's happening, and they don't believe a moment of it. Jesus isn't the king it's heresy. It's wrong. And so they, they tell the people, or they tell Jesus, tell them to quit it. But Jesus gives them a most interesting response. He says, oh, we jumped ahead a little bit. Oh, I might have missed the, the slide. Verse 40 will say, I tell you, he replied, Jesus, if they keep quiet, 
the stones will cry out. Now this, this isn't a response to quell a tent situation. This is not Jesus, I understand what you're saying and let me work with you. Let me see how we can move forward in a way that's a little less seemingly heretical. This was not a response that was going to make things easier. This is Jesus pouring a can of gasoline on top of a fire. Because this was the Pharisees saying, Jesus, you need to stop this. They think you're their king. And, and, and we, you and we, we know together, you're, you're not their king. So you need to do something about this. And this is Jesus' response to that saying, actually, I am the fulfillment to that prophecy. The prophecy that these people think is being fulfilled, it's being fulfilled right before your eyes. That prophecy is about me. I am the king they're waiting for. I am their king of kings, and I am their lord of lords. And this would have sent the, the Pharisees off the deep end. This, this would have been, that's a bridge way too far. This response was, was Jesus claiming to be God. This, this wasn't run-of-the-mill heresy anymore. This is the blasphemy of blasphemies. This, this is the, the, the top rung or the bottom rung of the ladder, depending if you climb up or down. This is, this is Jesus saying, I am God. This is too far. And out of this would have came the need for the Pharisees and the religious establishment to, to deal with the problem of Jesus once and for all. We cannot let this continue. It's time to get rid of Jesus. Now, as, as, the or as the processional welcoming Jesus, it eventually dies down and it comes to an end. And we look at this story. The reason why we know this to be a strange place is because in this moment, everything looks exactly the way it should be. The people are responding and they're doing exactly what you would think we would want them to do. They see Jesus coming in and they are welcoming Jesus as their king. It is incredible. The seemingly highest of highs. The problem is that in just a few days from here, this, this mass of people, the whole world, as the Pharisees called it, when Jesus doesn't meet their expectations, when, when Jesus doesn't show up and, and defeat Rome and, and set the people free, in just a couple of days, the sea of humanity will go from welcoming Jesus as king to demanding his death as a criminal. The crowds that line the streets with palm branches and, and their cloaks to cheer for Jesus, to celebrate his coming, this crowd that would chant Hosanna in the highest and would praise him as their king would just in a few days be shouting crucify him. They would be saying give us Barabbas. Give us this criminal in exchange for Jesus. And well, for us, this seems like such a swing. It, it doesn't come as a surprise to Jesus. He, he's not jarred by the response. And in fact, he knows what's coming and he's ready for it. Because this was his purpose. This is why he was here. This was going to happen to him all along. And this is what the father had in store for him. He, he wasn't here for the triumphant entry. 
He was here for what comes after. So as we reflect on this moment, a couple of thoughts come to mind. You see, we, we see as we focus on Jesus, our Savior, in this moment, as he enters into the city of Jerusalem, where in just a matter of days he was going to die, what we see in Jesus is his choice to follow his purpose over his pleasure. His purpose over the people. You see, Jesus would submit and surrender to his father's plan no matter how hard the road would be and no matter how tempting a different road would be. How tempting it would be to take an easier road. Jesus needed to pass through the Hosanna road and not get distracted on his way to the crucify him road. No matter how painful and no matter what he would have to endure during this journey. And this, this makes me think about myself and think about us. Is our life, is my life committed to following the purposes that my Father has given to me? Are our lives dedicated to following the purposes that our Father has given us? to be fully surrendered and living in obedience to God, no matter what other paths are presented to us, no matter what our journey entails, no, no matter how often, or I wonder how often in my life I've chosen the easy road, the, the, the road lined with people cheering me on, the road lined with people saying, way to go, that's the right way, you're doing the right thing, go for it, yeah. But it's a road that I know I'm not supposed to be on. But it does feel awfully good to be here. The road that I, I've made the choice and say, you know, the end of this road sure looks a lot happier than the end of that road. How often in my life, how often in our lives, have we ended up stopping short getting distracted, ha having our priorities changed because we've seen something on the road that diverted our attention? How often have we been on the road that our Father has given us, but the people around us have encouraged us that another path can lead us to happiness and fulfillment? And, and maybe that path looks even easier too. How often have we been confronted by the choice between what I want and what I would like? And seemingly, what God is asking of me. And I've chosen to look at what I want and what I would like rather than see what God has for me. Rather than being fully committed to taking the steps that I would need to take that would have been harder in, in living in obedience to whatever my father in heaven had for me. See, Jesus, he could have stopped in the moment of the triumphant entry. He could have lived there. He could have looked around at all that was going on around him and said, actually, I like this. Let's do this instead. See, Jesus could have been 
the king they were looking for. Jesus could have defeated the Roman Empire. Jesus tells Pilate that. He says, look, look if, if this was the battle I was sent here to fight, if I was meant to fight a war, I would pray to my heaven and he would send down legions of angels. And then you read in the Old Testament how strong angels could win. That, that Jesus could have done this. In this moment, as seemingly the whole world is swept up in Jesus' mania, Jesus could have stopped and said, all right, this seems like the path to take. Let's do this instead. Tempted to not press on what the crowd had in store for him next, but, but we know Jesus doesn't stop there. And that's where I want to draw our time to a close today. Because why didn't Jesus stop there? Why did he keep going? All the while, knowing that this cup was coming for him. This cup that again, in just a few days, he would be praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Jesus knows what's coming. So... Why did he keep going? What was in his heart and in his mind as he took each step leading him closer and closer to Jerusalem? Remember, he said to the disciples, we're heading to Jerusalem where all of the prophecies about the Son of Man would be fulfilled. And not just the prophecy about me coming in on a donkey, but there's a lot of stuff that's going to be hard too. Why did he endure all that he needed to endure? The answer to these questions is actually found in Hebrews chapter 12. When it tells us that he he endured the cross. He scorned its shame. Why? Well, it says this. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. So what's the joy that was set before him. What was the reason for all of this? The answer to that question is so simple and yet so profound. What was his joy? It's us. Why didn't he stop? What was in his heart? What was on his mind? Why did he endure? Us. You, me, for the joy of being with us, he endured the cross. Jesus knew that there was only one way for us to be able to be with him. And that's why he went through all of this. For him, he could have stopped. He could have become king of Israel. He could have become the emperor of the world if that's what he wanted to do. But for us, he continued down the road. It was our sin that drove him because our sin had caused a barrier between us and God. My sin had caused a barrier between me and God. Our rebellion and our disobedience to God and his commandments had separated us from a holy God. 
And there was just one solution to that problem. The only solution for that separation was going to be found in Jesus walking this road. He is, as scripture would say, this, this perfect and spotless lamb that can take away the sins of the world. He is our solution because God loved us enough to give his one and only son on our behalf to conquer our sin. You see, Jesus interceded and intervened to pay a penalty that we couldn't pay to cover a debt that was beyond our reach. So he came to Jerusalem. He passed through the crowds cheering him to spread his arms wide out on a cross to surrender his life and give his life for us. Because he was willing to go down whatever road he needed to go down. Not for himself, but for us, his joy. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that we look at this story and God, we, we see seemingly a life and a moment that is all that it should be. A life and a moment that looks just right. The whole world celebrating you. And yet, God, you knew that this, this wasn't it. You knew that for us to be in relationship with you, you knew that for me to be in relationship with you, you knew that for your creation to be brought back into relationship with you, you couldn't stop here. And Jesus, I am so thankful that you didn't. I'm so thankful in this moment that you, you kept going. That as we remembered your sacrifice through communion, God, I thank you that we remember again, even in this message, the reason you came to Jerusalem was not to be celebrated, but it was to be crucified. It was to be raised again to conquer death and hell in the grave. God, I thank you that as we look at this story of understanding purpose and understanding the drive that we have to follow or that you had to follow your heavenly father, God, may that encourage us. May that give us eyes to see in our own lives what it looks like for us to follow our heavenly father. And God, I know that for some here today, for some watching at home, the road may seem hard. The road may seem difficult. The road may seem like it's at a place where it's say, that's I'm done traveling this road. Get me off. God, I pray that in the story of your triumphal entry, God, that we wouldn't somehow just be met with guilt and shame because look at what Jesus did and look at what I can't do. But God, I thank you that your word will tell us that the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in us. And God, the same power that allowed you to walk the most difficult road lives in us. And God, I pray for each one of us on the path that we're on, God, that we would have that strength to be able to walk the road that we've been called to walk. And God, when we feel like giving up, would you come and meet us? Would you come and care for us? 
Would you come and, and meet us and, and fill us with strength? Would you come and give us the gift of perseverance? Give us this gift to be able to continue to walk the path that we've been given. God, we look to you as our, our example. We look to you as our source. And God, we just pray that we would be able to walk the road given to us. God, thank you that you did. God, help us to do that as well. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. When I was young, you called my name. Thanks again for being a part of this message from Hillside Church. We pray that God was able to speak to you through what was shared. We're so grateful to be able to share God's word with our church community and family. And that includes you. And we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Hillside Airdrie. You can contact us through email at info at hillsideairdrie.ca. Or you can go to hillsideairdrie.ca and click on contact us from the main menu. Or you can find our pastoral team contact by clicking on our pastors from the Our Church drop-down menu. Our vision for everyone that shares in Hillside Church is that they would know God, know his hope, know his purpose, and know his power in their lives. And we pray this message ministered to you. At Hillside Church, we're a family not by blood, but a family that's been bought by blood. As family we go. Is written in your scars. You'll never quit on me. You'll always hold my heart. Cause that's the kind of God you are. Freedom from my sin You told me I could start again All I heard is dead and gone Now we're your daughters and your sons Amazing grace, how sweet the sound We once were lost, but now we're found Forever you hold us in your arms that's just the kind of God you are